Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Well, if you joined us last week, I was fairly transparent about my personality type as we celebrated Paul's multiple lists of gifts that he recorded in the book of Romans chapter 12, the gifts that God gives to each of us and the incredible diversity that exists in the church that enables us to work together in equality and in unity for the sake of the kingdom of God. I'm very unique as are you, but together we are better. I hope that over this last week, you might have had some time to celebrate your uniqueness and yet at the same time realize our interdependence upon each other, that we achieve better things when we combine who we are. To further let you know about my personality type, a little bit more transparency, I'm the kind of person who generally enjoys lists. Sometimes I write a list of things that I've already done just so that I can cross them off and get a certain sense of accomplishment that comes when you cross things off a list. I'm also married to someone who also likes lists, particularly the sort of list that she writes and then gives to me. Joe has a sense of accomplishment just giving me a list of things that I have to do. She crosses off her list that she's made a list for me. When I was young, or or younger than I look today, let's be honest, I still look fairly young. I remember my faith was also dependent upon a list of things that I thought a good Christian should do, or what a good Christian should look like. I didn't smoke, well, maybe one or two quietly. I tried not to swear, and generally speaking, I tried to abide by all the rules that I thought good Christians had to abide by to be a good Christian. Of course, while most of us would know that having to abide to a list doesn't make you a better Christian than any other not-so-good Christian, the idea of lists and rules isn't helped by the passage that we're going to be looking at today as we continue our journey through the book of Romans, in particular as we spend the third week of four looking at one chapter, Romans chapter 12. Before we dive into Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, let me remind you that the key thing to keep in mind as we go through Romans 12 is that this chapter has seen a shift from 11 chapters of meaty theology based around the theme of the good news of the gospel being for all people through Christ alone by faith alone. And of course, that has also been based on Paul's consistent desire for unity in the early church between at that time... Jews and Gentiles. Romans chapter 12 sees Paul starting to bring the application. Because of everything that he has said in chapters 1 to 11, this is how it rolls out into our lives. We've already looked at verses 1 to 2 about not conforming to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can live out God's good pleasing, and perfect will. And we talked about what that will is, that of 
loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. That, that's His ultimate will for us. We then looked at verses 3 to 8 that encouraged us to look at ourselves with, as it says in the NIV version, sober judgment, which means knowing that we all contribute to each other's lives through differing gifts and abilities, which bring us to a state of unity and equality, which is hard to grasp because we often conform to the patterns of this world, which say that there are people that are more gifted than others or more important than others. And sadly, we often say that there are people who are more superior than others. So we tried to get rid of all of that heresy last week. We talked about equality. We are all created in the image of Christ, all gifted uniquely to the betterment of each other. Today, verses 9 to 13 present us with a list. Let's read these verses. Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And there it is. On the first reading of these verses, it's just simply a list of things that we need to live up to so that we can be good Christians. Beginning with the title, Love Must Be Sincere, we effectively see Paul giving us a list of 11 things. 11 things that we can perhaps tick off. Sincere love looks like this. Hate what is evil. Tick. Cling to what is good. Tick. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Number 11 of this list, practice hospitality. Taken by itself, without reference to the rest of the letter to the Romans, we could, if we wanted to, simply work our way through that list and have a scorecard for ourselves on how we're going. We could just go through them, 1 to 11, rate ourselves out of 10 for our performance. How's hospitality going? Uh, 4 out of 10. How are the others going? I mean, I could look through this list and... On average, if I averaged it for myself, I'd probably be, I don't know, six and a half out of ten, perhaps. Some I'm better at than others. <laughs> what about you? How would you rate yourself? What would your average be? But if you know me, you'll know that we can't just take a few verses out of their context and make them suit our purposes. We have to consider these verses as to where they're placed and why they're here. For these verses, they're part of Romans chapter 12, the, the third part of Romans chapter 12 that we're looking at. And therefore, they're not only part of chapter 12, they are part of chapters 1 through 11. 
And so we need to look back. That is part of looking at the, at the mercy of God that Paul has categorically taught on. That is part of offering our bodies as living sacrifices as an act of worship that Paul has already categorically taught on. That is part of not conforming to the patterns of this world that as part of being transformed by the renewing of our minds, that as part of living that out in the ways that God has wired us for, here are some examples of what that might look like. So again, this, this isn't a list to check ourselves against because no list that Paul makes or any other author in the New Testament makes is exhaustive. It's just a bunch of things to consider when we're thinking about what transformation looks like. It's a range of things that might indicate we're allowing ourselves to live apart from the patterns of this world. It's an indicator that we believe in God's mercy. We believe in the good news of Christ. We believe in salvation for all people. That we're doing life and faith together. There's a little phrase that you might have heard before. as part of Windsor Park. And Paul is suggesting through these verses that this is what transformation might look like. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through to 21, and Aidan will cover verses 14 to 21 in a fortnight, the fourth message looking at Romans chapter 12. But in this section, Paul is writing in a literary style consistent with the time. A style also used in the letter of James and in other parts of the New Testament. It's a style called paranesis, which is a style that is loosely structured, deliberately moving from one topic to another without attempting to pursue a definite line of development or structure. Verses 9 to 13 clearly fit the parameters of what paranesis looks like. These verses are in no obvious order of logical sequence. Paul exhorts Christians to adopt certain attitudes and forms of behaviors. He's freely citing from the Old Testament, from Jewish tradition, and the teaching of Jesus to communicate his point. We are, of course, supposed to think about what Paul is saying, but he is more interested in getting us to react to the rapid-fire style of the text and get to grips with a bigger, more, more holistic point that he is seeking to get us to consider and think about. The question then is this. Based on everything that we've covered since February this year, as we've worked through one of the deeper books of the Bible, what does being transformed by the renewing of our mind look like in the life that we live? Well, verses 9 to 13 give us some suggestions to consider. These moral statements are intended to provoke us into some self-reflection, perhaps encourage us into some potential action. If we support what Paul has been saying up to this point, do our lives bring glory to God through internal attitudes that result in external actions like the ones that he describes? Of course, the Bible gives us multiple other examples of what this kind of significant, spirit-inspired life transformation looks like. Five very brief examples of, of five people that experience transformation. Firstly, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22, gives us the story of Saul. 
now known as Paul, the author of Romans. We know a lot about him. From being a persecutor of Christians to a passionate preacher of the gospel. Transformation. Secondly, we can read the story of the transformation of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. From a man who gained significant wealth through ripping off mostly the poor, to an example of generosity who promised to give away half of his possessions to the poor and repay those he had cheated four times over, which mostly took care of the other half. I mean, there's some action. Perhaps God had given him the gift of generosity that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, and it just took the transformation of his heart to activate that gift in his life. How about the story of Peter the denier in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 to 75? Filled with regret from denying that he even knew Jesus, Peter's transformation into a bold preacher is a powerful example of God's grace and God's forgiveness at work in someone's life. Or how about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32? It's another example of someone's transformation from complete selfishness to being welcomed back into his family by his father's love and forgiveness. The greater picture is, of course, is that this is exactly what God does to us. The Father welcomes us back, even when we're being completely selfish. Lastly, we might think of the transformation of Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, who went from a social outcast, possessed by seven demons, who then encountered Jesus and became one of his faithful followers there at his crucifixion and the first person to see Jesus after his resurrection. Amazing transformation in these biblical examples, and there are plenty of others as well. But closer to home, there's a significant story in our history in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that shows how the transformation that comes from following Christ confronted the patterns of our world. It's a story that is told regularly, but a story where the power of the gospel is actually largely untold. Tifiti Orongamai. The third is a name that some of you might know of. A descendant of Te Arangia Peturia, paramount chief of Te Ati Awa, which is the Māori iwi traditionally based in Taranaki and Wellington, Te Fiti was born in the early 1830s and was identified early in his life as one who would carry a special spiritual authority in teaching and prophecy. As he grew, Tefiti became deeply knowledgeable in the traditional knowledge of Māori. But then in the 1840s, he was exposed to the teachings of Christ and became a pupil and a disciple of a Wesleyan minister who had come to New Zealand as a missionary. Over a few years, Tefiti grew an astute worldview, heavenly, heavily influenced by the teaching of Christ, what he saw in the scriptures, what the Spirit encouraged him with. To cut a long and interesting story much shorter, Tefiti became convinced that the taking up of arms in situations of conflict was not appropriate for someone who followed the Prince of Peace 
Jesus Christ. This became a hallmark of his teaching at a time when Māori were being forced off their lands by immigrants to the New Zealand. This all came to a head on the 5th of November 1881, when 1589 armed British constabulary invaded a small Taranaki settlement called Parihaka, intending to confiscate the land. Led by Tifiti Orongamai and his brother-in-law Tohu Kakahi, the 2,000 Māori who were gathered at Parihaka sat in peaceful resistance on the marae totally influenced by the word of God, that this was the way to demonstrate against the injustice before them, not in armed conflict, as was the norm. They had, in effect, been transformed by the renewing of their minds, not conforming to the pattern of this world, offering themselves as living sacrifices to God in light of God's mercy as revealed to them by the inspiration of the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Of course, as history is our teacher, peaceful resistance didn't end well for those people or their land. The Riot Act, an expression we still use today, which is actually based on an actual law of the same name at that time, was read. And an hour later, Tifiti and Tohu were led away to a mock trial and subsequently incarcerated in the South Island. The destruction of Parihaka began immediately. It took the army two weeks to pull down the houses and two months to destroy the crops. Women and girls were raped and thousands of cattle, pigs and horses were slaughtered and confiscated. Even after being released from prison some years later, Tefiti continued to promote peaceful resistance and mounted further protest action on confiscated lands up to his death in 1907, all inspired by the scriptures that he had learnt and wrestled with as he sought to put his faith into action in the face of injustice. Like large chunks of our history here in Aotearoa, the influence of the gospel in some of the most significant events in the early stages of our nation seem to have been conveniently redacted in the telling of the stories in our day. Stories of transformation in the Bible? Stories of transformation in our nation's history? I wonder what story our lives are telling today about the power of the good news of Jesus that comes with the offer of salvation to all people through Christ, by faith alone. The list of 11 actions that we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 13, are responses to what we read at the beginning of verse 9. Love must be sincere. When we say that we love God, Paul, through what he writes, asks us if we really mean it. Are we sincere? And if we are, well, here are some things, amongst others, that will show our sincerity. We'll grow into hating what is evil. We will learn to discern what is good. 
we will devote ourselves to each other because we long, we belong to the, the one body of Christ. We'll honor each other because we'll be loving our neighbors as ourselves. We'll be keen to keep growing in Christ. We'll want to serve Him. We'll know hope. We'll know that we can persevere even when life is tough. And we'll keep connected to God. We'll be generous. We'll welcome people into our lives, show hospitality. You know, sometimes lists can be useful, but they're not exclusive and they're not to be taken religiously. To the list of 11, we could add some more. And verses 14 through 21 add about another 15. <laughs> it's not onerous if we accept the style that Paul is writing in. These are examples of transformation and action that demonstrate to those around us that as we seek to follow the example of God's ways, then the patterns that we're taught in the mass media of our, of our world, you know, we'll, we'll turn them over with what the gospel tells us. In many ways, it would be easier to have a list that I could mark myself on. It just seems simpler than having to continue the inward work of ongoing discipleship. But you know, as I look back to my younger days, I could never pass the test and meet the standards of being a good Christian. I'm so glad that Paul, through Romans chapters 1 to 11, has shown me that it's not necessary to strive to reach a certificate of completion. It's already been achieved for me through Christ. All I have to do now is keep him as the king of my heart because he is good and, and he's worthy of my following. I want to encourage you to look at verses 9 to 13 of Romans chapter 12, not as an isolated list of things to achieve, but as the outworking of a process of metamorphosis, that word that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You know, in life, change is inevitable, but transformation is a choice. I hope and pray that we all keep choosing transformation so that the world may know and see the power of God that is work, at work within us and that we will know him intimately in our hearts and our lives. And our lives will be a testimony to the transformation that his spirit brings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these verses in Romans chapter 12. It's the third week of looking at just a few verses, but they all bring lots of challenge to us. Father, as we look at this list of maybe character attributes, things that seek to demonstrate wider transformation in our lives, and Father, rather than marking ourselves on how we are doing, we will just look at them in their entirety. We'll just ask ourselves the question and say, how are we allowing you to transform us? Are we perhaps doing some of those things? Are we allowing ourselves to be hospitable and loving all people? Are we seeking out good? Are we honoring people? Are we loving our brothers and sisters as ourselves? Father, all of these things are just examples of how we are changed by your Spirit should we choose to allow you to work on our rough edges. 
So I pray that today you might highlight to us maybe one or two things that we have to work on. One or two things that don't bring you glory. One or two things that we could just really commit to you and allow your spirit to to change within us. Maybe it's attitudes that we carry about other people. Maybe it's unforgiveness that's in our hearts. Maybe we do think of ourselves as being better than somebody else. Father, might we just look around us and see your fingerprint upon the lives of everybody around us and know that we are better together. And so, Father, might your church continue to be unified and work together to bring about your kingdom and our community that is so self-absorbed. Help us to not conform to that pattern, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.